Welcome to Haunted Grove, the podcast that brings you the darkest, most spine-tingling stories from the world of the unknown. If you're a fan of cryptic tales, paranormal events, and unexplained mysteries, then you're in the right place. Each week, we'll take you on a journey into the shadows, exploring the macabre, the supernatural, and the downright terrifying. Our team of expert storytellers will guide you through tales of ghosts, monsters, haunted places, and more. But be warned, these stories are not for the faint of heart. They may keep you up at night, make you check under your bed, or have you looking over your shoulder. So, buckle up, listeners, and get ready to journey into the mysterious and macabre with Haunted Grove. Let's dive in. Passport. It was a dark and stormy night in the heart of Tokyo. The city that never sleeps was silenced by the heavy rain and the occasional crack of thunder. The streets were empty, and the only sound was the drumming of the raindrops on the pavement. It was the kind of night that made people want to stay inside and never leave. But for one man, this was the perfect night to go out and explore. He had always been fascinated by the darker side of life, and Tokyo's urban legends and ghost stories were no exception. He had spent the past few weeks reading everything he could find about the city's haunted places and eerie experiences, and he was determined to experience them for himself. The man, whose name was Jack, had come to Tokyo on a whim. He was a writer and had always been drawn to strange and unusual stories. He had heard about the city's dark side and was intrigued. He booked a one-way ticket and decided to stay for as long as it took to find something worth writing about. On this particular night, Jack found himself wandering the streets of Shibuya, a popular neighborhood known for its shopping and nightlife. He had read about a haunted alleyway nearby, and he wanted to see it for himself. As he walked, he could feel the hairs on the back of his neck rise. The darkness seemed to swallow him whole, and he couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching him. As he turned down the narrow alleyway, the rain intensified, making it hard to see more than a few feet in front of him. He shivered, pulling his jacket tight around him. That's when he saw it. A figure standing at the end of the alley. It was tall and slender, with long arms that hung down to its knees. Its face was obscured by the darkness, but Jack could feel its gaze on him. For a moment, Jack was frozen in place. He wanted to turn and run, but his feet wouldn't move. It was as if he was rooted to the spot. He watched as the figure stepped forward, revealing itself to be something not of this world. Its skin was a sickly shade of gray, and its eyes were black and empty. Jack's heart raced as the figure approached him. He could feel the fear building inside him, threatening to overwhelm him. And then, just as suddenly as it had appeared, the figure vanished. Jack was left standing alone in the alleyway, his heart pounding in his chest. He knew then that he had found his story. He spent the rest of the night exploring the city, searching for more evidence of the supernatural. He visited abandoned buildings and haunted parks, taking pictures and notes as he went. By the time the sun began to rise, Jack had a wealth of material for his next book. But as he made his way back to his hotel, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. It was as if the city had changed while he was out exploring. The streets were quieter, and the people he passed seemed to be avoiding him. He tried to ignore it, telling himself it was just his imagination. When he arrived at the hotel, he headed straight to his room, eager to get some rest. But as he opened the door, he felt a wave of unease wash over him. There was something different about the room. It took him a moment to realize what it was. The air felt heavy, as if it was thick with energy. And then he saw it. On the nightstand, there was a passport. But it wasn't just any passport. The cover was a deep shade of red, 
and the emblem on the front was like nothing Jack had ever seen before. He picked up the passport, his heart racing as he opened it. Inside, the information was filled out in a language he couldn't read. The photo on the ID page was of him, but the name was not his own. It was a name he had never heard before. As he sat on the edge of the bed, trying to make sense of what he was seeing, he heard a knock on the door. He hesitated for a moment before getting up to answer it. When he opened the door, he was surprised to see a man standing outside. The man was dressed in a suit, and his expression was serious. He introduced himself as a representative of the Japanese government and asked to come in. Jack was hesitant, but the man insisted, so Jack stepped aside and allowed him to enter. The man sat down on the bed and began to speak. He told Jack that the passport he had found belonged to a citizen of a country that did not exist. He explained that the government had been keeping an eye on Jack ever since he arrived in Tokyo, and they had reason to believe that he was somehow involved with this mysterious country. Jack was incredulous. He had no idea what the man was talking about. But as the man continued to speak, Jack realized that the stories he had been chasing all night were somehow connected to this passport, to this country that didn't exist. The man finished speaking and stood up to leave. He told Jack that he had to come with him, that he had no choice in the matter. Jack protested, but the man was insistent. He led Jack out of the hotel and into a waiting car. As they drove through the streets of Tokyo, Jack could feel the fear growing inside him. He had no idea what was happening, or where they were taking him. All he knew was that he was in danger. Eventually, they arrived at the airport. The man led Jack through the crowds of people, ignoring his protests and questions. They approached a security checkpoint, and the man presented the passport to the officer. At first, the officer seemed confused. He studied the passport carefully before calling over a supervisor. As they looked at the passport, Jack could see their expressions change. They were no longer confused, but afraid. The supervisor motioned for the man to follow him, and they led Jack to a small room off to the side. Inside the room, there were several other men in suits, all of them speaking in hushed tones. The man who had brought Jack to the airport approached one of the men and spoke to him in a low voice. The man nodded and turned to Jack. We need to ask you a few questions, he said, his tone serious. Can you tell us why you have this passport? Why do you have a passport from a country that doesn't exist? Jack was at a loss for words. He had no explanation for what was happening. All he could do was repeat that he had no idea what they were talking about. The men continued to question him, but he couldn't give them any answers. As the hours ticked by, Jack began to feel a sense of hopelessness. He was trapped in this room, with no way out. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, the interrogation was over. The men left the room, and the man who had brought Jack to the airport returned. You're free to go, he said, his tone neutral. We have no further use for you. Jack was stunned. He had no idea what had just happened, or why he had been detained in the first place. He gathered his belongings and left the airport, his mind reeling. As he made his way back to his hotel, he realized that something had changed. The city that had once seemed so familiar now felt foreign to him. He couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched, that someone was following him. When he arrived back at his hotel, he was relieved to find that his belongings were still there. He locked himself in his room and tried to make sense of what had happened. But no matter how hard he tried, he couldn't explain it. Days turned into weeks, and Jack began to feel like he was losing his mind. He couldn't shake the feeling that something was off, that the world he had known before coming to Tokyo was no longer the same. 
He spent his days wandering the streets, looking for answers, but he found nothing. One night, as he walked through the city, he heard a strange sound. It was like nothing he had ever heard before, a deep, guttural noise that seemed to be coming from everywhere and nowhere at once. As he turned a corner, he saw it. The figure from the alleyway, the one that had haunted his dreams ever since that fateful night, was standing in front of him. Its eyes were fixed on him, and Jack could feel the fear building inside him. But then something strange happened. The figure reached out a hand, and as it did, the world around Jack seemed to shift. The buildings and streets melted away, replaced by a dark, otherworldly landscape. Jack stumbled backwards, trying to make sense of what was happening. He could see figures moving in the shadows, strange shapes and forms that he couldn't identify. And then he saw it. The man with the passport, the man who had led him to the airport and interrogated him. He was standing in front of Jack, his eyes fixed on him. You don't belong here, the man said, his voice echoing through the darkness. This world is not for you. Jack was paralyzed with fear. He had no idea what was happening or how he had ended up in this strange place. And then, just as suddenly as it had begun, it was over. Jack found himself standing in the middle of the street, the rain pounding down on him. He looked around, disoriented, and realized that he was back in the real world. For the rest of his life, Jack would never forget that night. The night that he had stepped into another world, a world that didn't exist. He would spend the rest of his days searching for answers, trying to understand what had happened to him. But in the end, he would never find them. The mystery of the passport, the man with the other world, and the strange, supernatural forces that had brought them together, would remain unsolved, a dark and eerie chapter in his life that he could never forget. Late Checkout It was a dark and stormy night when Paul arrived at the hotel. He had booked a room for the night and was looking forward to a good night's sleep after a long day of driving. The hotel was old and creaky, but it had a certain charm to it that appealed to him. As he made his way to the front desk, he noticed a woman standing in the corner of the lobby. She was tall and slender, with long black hair that cascaded down her back. Her eyes were dark and piercing, and she seemed to be staring at him intently. Can I help you? The woman at the front desk asked, interrupting his thoughts. Yes, I have a reservation. My name is Paul, he replied, still feeling the woman's gaze on him. The woman checked him in and handed him his key. Room 307, on the third floor. The elevator is just down the hall on your right. Thank you, Paul said grabbing his key and making his way to the elevator. As he stepped inside and pressed the button for the third floor, he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched. The elevator doors opened, and Paul stepped out into the dimly lit hallway. He made his way to his room, unlocking the door and stepping inside. The room was small and cozy, with a queen-sized bed, a dresser, and a small table with two chairs. The walls were painted a deep shade of red, and a dim lamp cast a warm glow throughout the room. Paul put his bags down and collapsed onto the bed, exhausted from his long day. As he drifted off to sleep, he couldn't help but wonder about the woman in the lobby and the strange feeling she had given him. He awoke in the middle of the night to the sound of footsteps outside his door. He sat up in bed, listening intently as the footsteps grew closer. He could hear the sound of someone fumbling with a key, trying to unlock the door. Paul's heart raced as he realized someone was trying to break into his room. He scrambled out of bed and made his way to the door, pressing his ear against the wood to listen. Silence. He waited, holding his breath, but there was no sound. After a few moments, he cautiously opened the door, peering out into the hallway. 
No one was there. Paul felt a shiver run down his spine as he closed the door and locked it. He tried to calm himself down, telling himself it was just his imagination playing tricks on him. But as he lay back down in bed, he couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched. The next morning, Paul went down to the front desk to check out. As he was waiting for the woman to process his payment, he noticed a newspaper on the counter. The headline caught his eye. Local woman found dead in hotel room. He felt a lump form in his throat as he read the article. The woman had been strangled in her room during the night, and the killer was still at large. Paul couldn't shake the feeling that he had been in danger too, that the person who had tried to break into his room had been the same person who had killed the woman. He couldn't help but wonder if he was next. As he made his way back to his car, he noticed the same woman from the lobby standing outside the hotel. She was smoking a cigarette, her eyes fixed on him as he walked by. Excuse me, he said, approaching her. Do you know anything about the woman who was killed here last night? The woman looked at him, her expression unreadable. Why do you ask? I just thought you might have seen something, since you were here last night, Paul explained. The woman took a drag from her cigarette, her eyes never leaving his. I didn't see anything, she replied, her voice low and husky. But I heard something. A scream, maybe. But I couldn't tell where it came from. Paul felt a chill run down his spine as he realized the woman was lying. He could see it in her eyes, in the way she was avoiding his gaze. I see, he said, backing away slowly. Well, thanks anyway. He hurried to his car, feeling a sense of unease that he couldn't shake. As he drove away from the hotel, he couldn't help but wonder if the woman had been involved in the murder somehow. Over the next few weeks, Paul became obsessed with the murder. He scoured the news for any updates, talked to anyone who would listen, and even went back to the hotel to ask the staff if they knew anything. But no one seemed to have any answers. Then, one day, Paul received a letter in the mail. It was from the woman he had seen outside the hotel, and it simply said. Meet me at the hotel tonight. 11 p.m. Room 307. Paul felt a sense of dread wash over him as he read the letter. He knew he shouldn't go, that it was probably a trap. But he couldn't help himself. He had to know what the woman knew. That night, Paul drove back to the hotel, his heart racing as he made his way to room 307. He knocked on the door, and the woman answered, ushering him inside. What do you know? Paul demanded, his voice shaking with fear. The woman smiled, her dark eyes gleaming in the dim light. I know who killed that woman, she said, her voice low and seductive. Who? Paul asked, his heart pounding in his chest. The woman leaned in close, her lips brushing against his ear. You did, she whispered. Paul felt a surge of panic rise in his throat as he realized what the woman was saying. It couldn't be true, could it? He had no memory of killing anyone. But as he looked into the woman's eyes, he saw the truth there. He had killed her, in a fit of rage and grief. You killed my daughter, he said, his voice shaking with emotion. You were responsible for her death. The woman nodded, her eyes still fixed on his. And now you've killed me too, she said, her voice growing faint. Paul felt a wave of guilt wash over him as he realized what he had done. He had let his anger and grief consume him, and now he was paying the price. He stumbled out of the room, his heart heavy with regret. As he made his way to the front desk to check out, he couldn't help but wonder how he could have been so blind, how he could have let his emotions lead him down such a dark path. The hotel clerk handed him his receipt, and Paul made his way to his car, feeling empty and alone. 
As he drove away from the hotel, he knew he would never forget the night that changed his life forever. The night he became a killer, and lost his soul in the process. Guest. The wind howled through the empty streets, sending leaves scurrying across the pavement like frightened animals. In the distance, a dog barked, its voice echoing off the abandoned buildings. The air was thick with the smell of decay, a reminder of the once-thriving city that now lay in ruins. In the heart of the city stood an old bus station, long since abandoned and forgotten. Its windows were boarded up, its doors sealed shut, and its walls covered in graffiti. It was a place that most people avoided, but for one young man, it would become a temporary refuge. His name was Alex, and he was just 17 years old. He had been kicked out of his house by his stepfather, who had grown tired of his rebellious attitude and constant troublemaking. With nowhere else to go, Alex had decided to spend the night in the abandoned bus station, hoping to avoid the dangers of the streets. As he stepped through the shattered glass and debris that littered the entrance, he was struck by the eerie silence that hung in the air. The only sound was the distant hum of the city, a low rumble that seemed to vibrate through the walls. He moved deeper into the station, his footsteps echoing off the concrete floor. It wasn't long before Alex realized he wasn't alone. A figure emerged from the shadows, its form indistinct and flickering in the dim light. It was a man, dressed in ragged clothes, with a wild look in his eyes. Alex's heart began to race as he realized he was face to face with a dangerous stranger. Hey, kid, the man said, his voice low and gravelly. What are you doing here? Alex swallowed hard, trying to appear calm. Just, looking for a place to sleep, he said, his voice trembling slightly. The man chuckled, a sound that sent shivers down Alex's spine. Well, you picked a strange place for that, he said. This isn't exactly the Hilton. Alex felt his stomach knot with fear as he realized the man was blocking his path. He tried to sidestep him, but the man moved with lightning speed, grabbing him by the arm. I think you'll be staying here a while, the man said, his grip tightening. I have some plans for you. Alex struggled to break free, but the man was too strong. He could feel his heart pounding in his chest as he realized he was trapped, with no hope of escape. But just as he thought all was lost, something strange happened. A figure appeared in the shadows, a dark shape that seemed to move without sound. It was like a living shadow, blacker than the night, with eyes that glowed like hot coals. The man froze as he saw the figure, his grip loosening on Alex's arm. For a moment, there was silence, broken only by the sound of their breathing. And then, with a sudden burst of movement, the shadow figure leapt forward, its arms outstretched like claws. It enveloped the man in its embrace, pulling him down to the ground. Alex watched in horror as the shadow figure tore into the man, its claws ripping through flesh and bone. Blood spattered across the walls as the man screamed, his cries echoing off the concrete. And then, as suddenly as it had appeared, the shadow figure was gone, leaving behind only the torn and mangled body of the man. Alex stumbled backwards, his mind reeling with shock and terror. He knew he had witnessed something truly horrific, something that he would never forget. But even as he backed away, he could feel something stirring inside him. It was a dark presence, a voice that whispered in his ear, tempting him with promises of power and revenge. Alex tried to push the voice away, but it grew stronger with each passing moment. As he stumbled out of the bus station and into the cold night air, he knew that his life would never be the same. He had witnessed something that he could never explain, something that had changed him in ways that he could never fully understand. For days, he tried to push the memory of the shadow figure and the murdered man out of his mind. He tried to convince himself that it had all been a nightmare, a figment of his imagination.
but the voice inside him refused to be silenced, urging him to seek out the power that he had seen. And so, Alex began to explore the darker corners of the city, seeking out those who lived on the fringes of society. He found himself drawn to the world of crime and violence, finding a sense of belonging among those who shared his thirst for power. But as he delved deeper into this dark world, he began to realize that there was a price to pay for the power he sought. He saw the brutality and horror that lay just beneath the surface, and he knew that he was in too deep to turn back. And then, one night, he encountered the shadow figure once again. He was in the midst of a violent confrontation with a rival gang, when the shadow figure appeared out of nowhere, its eyes glowing with an otherworldly light. Alex felt a surge of excitement as he realized that the shadow figure was there for him, that it had come to offer him even greater power. But as he reached out to embrace the shadow figure, he felt a sudden pain in his chest, a sharp, stabbing sensation that left him gasping for air. He looked down and saw that his shirt was soaked in blood, that he had been stabbed by one of his own men. He fell to the ground, his life slipping away as the shadow figure vanished into the night. As his vision faded, he could hear the voice inside him, mocking him with its laughter, telling him that he had been a fool to seek out the power that had destroyed him. And then, with one final breath, he was gone, leaving behind only the memory of the horror that had consumed him. Surveillance The night was dark and stormy, the kind of night where you'd rather be home curled up in a blanket with a hot cup of tea than out on the job. But for private investigator Jack, the allure of the paycheck was too much to resist. He had been hired by a wealthy client to keep a close eye on a grave belonging to Sebastian Torres, a man who had passed away just a few months prior. The client had received a mysterious message claiming that Sebastian would rise from his grave on this particular night, and they were willing to pay handsomely for someone to monitor the grave and report back with any unusual activity. As Jack arrived at the cemetery, he couldn't shake the feeling of unease that settled in his gut. The headstones were barely visible in the darkness, and the sound of the rain hitting the ground echoed throughout the empty cemetery. Jack made his way to Sebastian's grave, where he set up his surveillance equipment and prepared to settle in for the long night ahead. At first, Jack found the surveillance to be tedious and boring. He watched as the rain continued to pour down, occasionally checking his equipment to make sure everything was still functioning properly. He couldn't help but wonder if the client had been the victim of some sort of prank, or if they were simply losing their mind. As the night wore on, Jack's boredom turned to fear. He couldn't shake the feeling that he was being watched, that there was something sinister lurking just out of sight. He tried to rationalize his fear, reminding himself that he was a trained professional and that there was likely a logical explanation for everything. But as the night went on, Jack's fear only continued to grow. He couldn't explain the strange noises he heard, the creaking of the trees and the rustling of the leaves. And as the clock ticked closer and closer to midnight, his fear began to manifest in more tangible ways. Suddenly, Jack's surveillance equipment began to malfunction. The video feed flickered and then went black, and the audio was filled with static. Jack frantically tried to fix the issue, but nothing seemed to work. And then, just as suddenly as it had malfunctioned, the equipment sprang back to life, showing Jack a sight that would haunt him for the rest of his days. Sebastian Torres was rising from his grave. At first, Jack couldn't believe what he was seeing. He rubbed his eyes, thinking that perhaps he was hallucinating or that his equipment was still malfunctioning. But as he continued to watch, there was no denying that the man buried in that grave was coming back to life. Jack's first instinct was to run, to abandon his post and never look back. But the thought of the money he would be losing was too much to bear. He had bills to pay, a family to feed. So instead, he remained frozen in place, watching in horror as Sebastian Torres crawled out of his grave and began to shamble towards him. 
As Sebastian drew closer, Jack could see that something was not right about him. His eyes were glazed over, his skin was a sickly shade of grey. And as he got closer, Jack could smell the stench of decay emanating from his body. Jack was terrified, but he knew he had to keep his wits about him. He couldn't let Sebastian get too close, or he risked becoming infected with whatever was causing him to rise from the dead. So Jack did the only thing he could think of, he grabbed his gun and fired a warning shot into the air. Sebastian paused for a moment, as if considering his next move, and then continued to advance. Jack fired again, this time aiming directly at Sebastian's chest. The bullet hit its mark, but it seemed to have little effect on the undead man. Sebastian stumbled, but then continued to move forward with an almost supernatural determination. Jack began to panic. He had never faced anything like this before. He fired shot after shot, but none seemed to have any real impact on Sebastian. And as the undead man drew closer and closer, Jack realized that he was completely out of options. Just as it seemed like all hope was lost, a bright light appeared on the horizon. It was a police car, racing towards the cemetery with its lights flashing and siren blaring. Jack breathed a sigh of relief, help had arrived. As the police car screeched to a stop, two officers jumped out and drew their weapons. They took in the scene quickly, assessing the situation and determining that Jack was not a threat. But just as they were about to take down Sebastian, something strange happened. The undead man suddenly stopped in his tracks, as if frozen in time. And then, with a final shudder, he collapsed to the ground and began to decompose before their very eyes. The officers were shocked, but Jack knew that something like this had been inevitable. He gathered up his surveillance equipment and made his way back to his car, his mind racing with questions and uncertainties. As he drove away from the cemetery, Jack couldn't help but wonder what would happen next. Would the police be able to explain what had happened, or would they simply dismiss it as a freak occurrence? And what about the client, would they be satisfied with his report, or would they demand more answers? As the storm began to clear and the first light of dawn began to creep over the horizon, Jack realized that he had been changed by his experience. He had seen things that he never could have imagined, faced a terror that he never could have anticipated. And as he drove away, haunted by the memories of that night, he knew that he would never be the same again. The Hole It was a dark, moonless night when the two cave divers, Alex and Tom, descended into the depths of the earth. They were exploring a newly discovered cave system that promised to be one of the most challenging yet rewarding of their careers. As they descended deeper into the cave, the air became colder, and the light from their headlamps grew dimmer. They knew they had to be careful, as one wrong move could mean certain death. After hours of crawling and climbing through narrow passages, the two divers finally reached the heart of the cave. It was an enormous chamber, with walls that sparkled like diamonds and stalactites that hung from the ceiling like chandeliers. In the center of the chamber was a massive hole, so deep that neither of them could see the bottom. Tom, the more experienced of the two, suggested they split up to explore the chamber. He would take the left side, while Alex would take the right. They agreed to meet back at the hole in an hour. As Alex made his way through the chamber, he couldn't shake the feeling that something was watching him. He tried to push it out of his mind and focus on the task at hand, but the feeling persisted. As he approached the hole, he heard a sound that made his blood run cold. It was a deep, guttural growl, unlike anything he had ever heard before. He shone his headlamp into the hole, hoping to catch a glimpse of whatever was making the noise. But all he could see was darkness. He decided to back away slowly and wait for Tom to return. As he turned to leave, Alex felt a sharp pain in his ankle. 
He looked down and saw that he had stepped on a loose rock, which had cut into his flesh. He tried to put weight on his injured foot, but it was too painful. He was stuck. Meanwhile, Tom was exploring the left side of the chamber when he heard Alex's screams. He rushed back to the hole, where he found his companion lying on the ground, clutching his injured ankle. We have to get out of here, Alex said. There's something down there, something dangerous. Tom shone his headlamp into the hole, but he couldn't see anything. He tried to help Alex to his feet, but the pain in his ankle was too much to bear. They were stuck. As they sat there in the darkness, the growling grew louder and more ferocious. It sounded like it was coming from all around them. They knew they had to find a way out, but they couldn't move. Suddenly, a figure appeared in front of them. It was humanoid in shape, but its skin was as black as coal, and its eyes glowed like embers. It spoke in a language they couldn't understand, but they knew it was purgatory being. The being gestured toward Alex's injured ankle and then to the hole. They realized that the being was offering to help them, but in exchange, they had to let it have Alex's injured ankle. Tom was hesitant, but Alex was in too much pain to argue. He agreed, and the being stepped forward and placed its hand on Alex's ankle. There was a blinding flash of light, and the being disappeared. Alex felt the pain in his ankle subside, and he was able to stand up. They made their way back to the surface, grateful to be alive. But as they emerged from the cave, they realized that something was wrong. It was daylight, but the sky was black as night. The air was thick with a foul-smelling smoke, and the ground shook beneath their feet. They looked around in horror as they realized that they had been transported to a different place, a place that was not of this world. The purgatory being had kept its end of the bargain, but at what cost? As they stumbled through the strange landscape, they saw other beings like the one they had encountered in the cave. They were tall and menacing, with eyes that glowed in the darkness. They seemed to be everywhere, watching them with a hunger that made their blood run cold. Tom and Alex tried to run, but they didn't know where they were going. They were lost in a world that was beyond their understanding, a world of darkness and terror. As they stumbled through the alien landscape, they came across a group of other humans who had been trapped in this purgatory world. They had been there for years, maybe even centuries, and they had given up all hope of ever escaping. But Tom and Alex refused to give up. They knew they had to find a way back to their own world, no matter what it took. They spent months exploring this new world, learning its secrets and its dangers. They encountered strange creatures and bizarre landscapes, but they never gave up hope. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, they found a way back to their own world. It was a treacherous journey, and many of the other humans they had met in purgatory didn't make it. But Tom and Alex were determined, and they refused to let the darkness consume them. When they finally emerged back into the light of day, they were changed forever. They had seen things that no human should ever see, and they had been to a place that no one should ever have to experience. They never spoke of their ordeal to anyone else. They knew that no one would believe them, and they didn't want to be seen as crazy or delusional. But they would never forget the hole, and the purgatory being that had saved Alex's life. Years later, when Tom was an old man, he received a letter in the mail. It was from Alex, who had died many years ago. In the letter, Alex revealed that he had never fully recovered from his injuries, and that he had spent the rest of his life haunted by the memories of that night. Tom was saddened by his friend's words, but he knew that they had both survived something that was beyond human comprehension. They had faced the darkness and come out the other side, and that was something that no one could ever take away from them. Impound. It was a cool autumn night when John decided to take a shortcut home through the impound lot. 
He'd been working late at the office, and the lot was a convenient shortcut to get home. John had heard rumors about the place, that rich people paid exorbitant amounts of money to come and look at aliens that the impound lot had captured. It was all supposed to be hush-hush, but John had overheard a few people at work talking about it. The impound lot was a desolate place, with high fences surrounding it. There were signs everywhere warning people to stay out. But John was tired, and he just wanted to get home. As he walked through the lot, he noticed a strange smell. It was the smell of rotting flesh. He thought it was odd, but he shrugged it off, thinking it was just his imagination. Suddenly, he heard a loud bang. He turned around, but he didn't see anything. He continued walking, and then he heard another bang, and another. This time, he saw something move in the darkness. He couldn't quite make out what it was, but he could tell it was big. John started to run, but he was too slow. Something grabbed him from behind and dragged him into the darkness. He struggled to break free, but it was no use. The creature was too strong. When he woke up, he was in a dark room. He couldn't see anything, but he could hear strange noises all around him. He tried to move, but he was tied up. He struggled to break free, but it was no use. He was trapped. Suddenly, he heard a loud noise. It sounded like a door opening. He heard footsteps, and then he felt a hand grab him. He tried to fight back, but he was too weak. The hand dragged him out of the room and into the light. He was in the impound lot. But it wasn't like any impound lot he'd ever seen before. There were strange, otherworldly creatures everywhere. They were tall and thin, with long arms and legs. Their skin was gray and scaly, and they had glowing red eyes. John was horrified. He couldn't believe what he was seeing. He tried to run, but he was surrounded. The creatures closed in on him, and he knew there was no escape. Just as he thought it was all over, he heard a voice. It was a woman's voice, and it sounded familiar. She called out his name, and the creatures backed away. John couldn't believe it. It was Sarah, his high school sweetheart. They hadn't seen each other in twenty years. Sarah explained that she was one of the rich people who paid to come and look at the aliens. She had been coming to the impound lot for years, but she never saw anything until tonight. She was shocked when she saw John being dragged into the darkness. Sarah helped John escape, and they ran out of the impound lot as fast as they could. They didn't stop running until they were miles away. John thought it was all over. He was safe, and he was with Sarah. But he was wrong. Years later, John returned to the impound lot. He had never forgotten what had happened to him that night. He had always wondered if the creatures were real or if it was all just a hallucination. As he walked through the lot, he felt a sense of unease. It was as if the creatures were watching him. He tried to shake it off, but he couldn't. Suddenly, he heard a noise. It was the same noise he had heard twenty years ago. He turned around, and he saw the same creatures. They hadn't changed at all. They were still tall, thin, and had glowing red eyes. John froze in terror as they started to approach him. But then, he heard a familiar voice calling out to him. It was Sarah. She had followed him to the impound lot. John felt a sense of relief wash over him as Sarah came closer, but it was short-lived. The creatures started to attack. John and Sarah were overwhelmed by their strength and agility. They tried to fight back, but it was no use. The creatures were too strong. John felt a sharp pain in his chest as one of the creatures stabbed him with its long, sharp claws. He fell to the ground, gasping for air. Sarah was still fighting, but she was quickly outnumbered. As John lay on the ground, 
he thought about how he had come full circle. He had escaped the impound lot once, but now he was back, and there was no way out. He knew he was going to die. Just as he was about to take his last breath, he heard a loud noise. It sounded like a helicopter. He saw a bright light shining down on him, and then everything went dark. When John woke up, he was in a hospital bed. He was hooked up to machines, and there were tubes coming out of his body. He tried to move, but he was too weak. He saw Sarah sitting by his bedside, and he tried to speak, but his voice was barely a whisper. Sarah explained what had happened. The impound lot had been raided by the government, and they had found evidence of illegal alien capture and experimentation. John and Sarah had been the only survivors. John couldn't believe it. He had thought the creatures were just a myth, but they were real. He had seen them with his own eyes. He knew he would never forget that night. Years later, John and Sarah returned to the impound lot. It was abandoned, and the creatures were nowhere to be seen. John felt a sense of closure as he stood there, looking out at the desolate landscape. He knew that the impound lot had been a place of horror and terror, but it had also been a place of wonder and mystery. He would never forget the strange creatures he had seen, and he would always wonder what had happened to them. As John and Sarah walked away from the impound lot, they knew that they had survived something that most people could never imagine. They had faced their fears, and they had come out alive. But they also knew that the memory of that night would haunt them forever. Thank you for tuning into Haunted Grove. We hope you enjoyed today's show and we can't wait to share more with you in our next episode. Be sure to subscribe to Haunted Grove on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review to help others discover our podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.